Welcome to the Europe is Coming podcast, taking you inside the minds of Europe's best CrossFit athletes and the people behind them. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast, but in a different format this time because, as you can tell, I'm on YouTube. I just Googled it. What's the word? A vodcast. A vodcast. Oh, not a vodka. No, just a vodcast. It's a vodcast. Anyway, John and I um, sat down. He's fresh back from Norway. And uh, this is the day after the big announcement. Justin Berger's out. Dave Castro is in. What do we have to say about it? Um, So it's, I don't actually know what day it is. It's Wednesday. And um, we're back in Mallorca with this delightful, beautiful office that you've uh, found yourself in today. Yeah, and this is also a first. Yes, we're on camera. We have like uh, a third edition. As our boy Manu, say hello. Hey guys. <laughs> so, um, where should we begin? Last time I spoke to you, last time I saw you was Berlin, um, in your Airbnb the day after the semi-finals have finished. Hmm. And we recorded the episode about Lane 8. Lane 8 episode. Yeah, like kind of, yeah, in very tired states. Yes, everyone was very tired yeah. and a little bit strung out, I think. So it's been a pretty... Yeah, and yeah, there were like ups and downs and um, I hadn't slept the previous night. Mm. Um, but it's, you know, semis is always stressful. But yeah, the, the lack of sleep and everything that went on kind of added to the, uh, the tiredness the next morning. So straight off to Norway... Yeah, so uh, Jacqueline and I left. So, you know, post-semis, everyone's like completely free. Uh, they go do... Well, actually, um, Morris went with Carmen and Denise to do like a, a rain shoot. That looked cool. Yeah, and I think, you know, good fun and like kind of good to do those activations post, post-event. Um, Chris went back with Lausanne to rest. They're obviously from Germany, so they drove back home. Ella, Ella had like actually like some kind of photo shoot in Fuerteventura and then went back home. And then Jack and I went straight to, to Norway. I, I was watching um, your stories and there seemed to be a lot of saunas and golf. Is that was, nice. it was, honestly, it was a dream, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, the weather was incredible. Like, because it's, you know, Mallorca now is hot. Yeah. And so the, oh, heat's, yeah. the heat's not necessarily enjoyable because it's like so intense. Um, but in Norway as well, with the light... So it's, it's, in essence, like 24 hours of light. It might, in essence, comes back. And, yeah, I was just uh, moving off. <laughs> yeah. Are you checking uh, yourself on that one? I know, you know, I do. It's a habit of mine. There, You know, in eight, six months' time, there'll be another word that's on mm. repeat. For now, it's in essence. Okay. Um, Always light. Noise lights. We played, or well, I played a lot of golf. Which was really nice. Is it famous for its golf. I thought they're Norway, Norway, back towards in the way. They, they had the first guy, a uh, young Norwegian guy, won um, uh, PJ Tour not so long ago. So it's always good for the game, and and I think there's a lot of. It, it seems a lot more popular golf at the moment. So there's obviously um, this kind of full swing series came out mm-hmm. um, on Netflix, and then also during the pandemic, basically. You, you, no one could do anything apart from golf. And just like myself, that kind of like, I played when I was young. A lot of people sit in the story, played with their parents, granddad, whatever it may be. And because of COVID, they were like forced, the only thing they could do is go back in a course. And we couldn't go to a gym. You could go on a golf course though. And so a friend here, Christian and I started playing again. And uh, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to it. So yeah, and I love sauna. So it was like the perfect uh, two weeks. Golf seems to have rehabilitated its image a bit, although not totally like the most a bit scandalous recently with what they've been doing with a couple of players. But well, no, there's the players, the organisations with the whole kind of live PGA Saudi-backed uh, mm-hmm. drama, but. Uh, yeah, golf's on kind of a different level of uh, uh, prize money and different things. It's fine because actually, I think that when we spoke to, I think it was last year when we spoke to Justin Berg, he actually likened um, trying to professionalise CrossFit with golf. Yes. And that brings us neatly to the fact that we're back in Mallorca. Yesterday, the news broke yeah. that Mr. Berg is no longer working for CrossFit. And Mr. Castro is back in. Yeah, you, kind of a, I, 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 I'm shook. I, I, I think shook is uh, is a good descriptive term. Like, I, I think no one would probably expect to Dave Castro after everything that happened no. step back into the role. You know, like you could have put a list of say ten names in front, and you'd be like, oh, you know. It's a tough role to fill because of the nature of CrossFit. Although arguably the GM of sport, which was Justin's title, and in theory is Dave's new title, is a very different role to that of what Adrian Bosman is doing, yeah. which is kind of like and CrossFit. It's a unique role within CrossFit. Like you know, a general manager of sports, kind of something that transitions across lots of different sports. Adrian Bosman's role, kind of programming lead. I don't know what the full term is because they are a programmer, but they're obviously a lot more to the sport, and that's like a day a role that Dave created. Um, and that's where we are, like, uh, kind of exploring as to what's going to happen now. Because my understanding of Justin's role was that he was more in, in more involved in the business. Exactly. You know, more involved with people like Tebow, for example, from GoWater, and that he would be the guy negotiating the deals. He was the person in charge of the media, as in, like, who... Well, he, so he had a bit more of an overview role. So there is, like, a head of partnerships mm-hmm. um, that would directly deal with the sponsorship deals. But, you know, you kind of liked that he was, like, the CEO of the sport. So he would have overview of everything, um, from programming to partnerships to athletes to coaches you kind of have that full overview role and then really be in charge of the direction of the sport so you know how does uh semis becoming uh part of crossfit again is a big decision that someone like justin would would have been in charge of a big financial decision, I should think, as well. Yeah, but Bringing that back in in house, yeah, and it costs them a little money. And obviously, he still has to answer to the CEO of CrossFit because you also have to understand the the company structure in the sense you have, you know, you now have a board, you have a CEO kind of representing the interests of the board. So there's a little more of a formal company structure. But then within the company, you then have these kind of three divisions: you have education, affiliation, and sports, mm-hmm. and then. Justin would then answer to Don, who then answers the board and so forth with this kind of typical uh, company structure. But those big decisions are, you know, kind of he could lead that. The direction of where the sport is going is led in that position. What do you think's happened? Well, you know what happened. The, the why it happened. Okay, yes. Better question. Why has it happened? Yeah, I, you know, this is all speculative um, information, but it probably has something to do with that. 
somewhere people weren't happy with the direction of the sport and therefore uh, they wanted to change. For it to happen so drastically, you know, that always like, kind of unturns more questions because we're six weeks out of the biggest event that presumably Justin and his team have been building towards. So something big's happened for it to happen now. I think, I think you know... It's a big statement. Yeah, it's a big statement. And I think you wonder why they didn't just let this games run out. I don't know whose side that's from and, and why, so we don't have that information. And, that, that, you know, however, it does raise this question of, like, it seems a very abrupt stop considering where we are in the season, you know. We're, I don't know, less than six weeks out of the games. Um that everything is kind of planned towards, so so it's a big change. Because I mean, like Lane Eight, yeah, Lane Eight Gate, yeah, has um ha- did take over for a while everyone's discussions, and I mean, you guys actually had a conversation. You yeah. sat down and recorded a conversation, which I thought, from my point of view, even though maybe you didn't, you guys didn't agree on what you were saying, it was great that he wanted, he was willing to have that conversation video uh, recorded. And that he was okay with it being released. Yes. I mean, he didn't. He got a lot of criticism afterwards. I saw in the comments and the in the uh, on the channel. But so it, maybe he didn't realise how he was coming across. But yeah. It, even so, I really appreciated his. Ch- he was trying to be a bit more um, open yeah, and transparent about the process. Whereas I'm a little bit concerned that with yeah. the with the um, return of. Mr. Castro, that will going backwards. Well, you know, the traits of Dave were never that open to feedback or, no, I mean, or an interpretation I never, of where the sport is uh, going. Man, so I don't know what he's like. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's more just that... So I think one thing that is kind of being asked for over years was transparency, mm-hmm. direction. And you are right, you know, it's kind of... Um, the timing of the interview was uh, maybe not the not the best. And I think that what we're asking for from kind of uh, the people who participate in the sport, from coaches to athletes to agents, kind of that participatory side, is fairness across the board. Mm-hmm. And I think people resonate with that because people see that there are big discrepancies in lanes with judging, in lanes with equipment. And then you start to get into like the nuances of stuff. And this gets a bit more complex, um, so it's hard to relate, but the, the style of programming, how things are being programmed. But if we've got to take uh, like this big picture level, you know, a starting block is fairness. And lane eight was really just a representation of that fairness. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the argument of the assault runners faster or slower and, and what should happen, you know, it was admitted on both sides that the assault runners were a difference and that's I think what really opened up this debate because we've not really had that question before with judging for example you just have one judge and it's their judgment call and that CrossFit always defended the judge and the judgment call they just would refuse to admit to no rep whereas on this side we actually got an admission as a discrepancy and that then led into this discussion well that there shouldn't be a discrepancy how do we kind of develop that and actually, from our side, it's not just the discrepancy on the runners, but actually this consistency in within the sport of how we can improve and move forward with those things. One of the fears is, you know, obviously we entered into a discussion and now it's like, boom. It's gone. Gone. And so... Yeah. It, that's like a lot. If it feels like, like all of that work 
and that negotiation and that bridge building and relationship building yeah. it's just got up in flames it feels a little bit like that and you know Castro has obviously got he is the history of the sport I mean people make t-shirts about this man you know he's yeah. a, he is a prick and the rest of it yeah. so he's, got a, he's a legend for being a prick yeah, that as well. I mean, yeah. he's, he's engaging and charismatic and uh, yeah, he's fun a, to be around, I'm sure, but I'm just... And, and there's no question that his personality became very much associated with the sport, from the open announcements, from doing weddings on the games floor, to <laughs> his like classic haircut, to his... Rose. Yeah, to his kind of love for exploring. Uh, and if there was a trait with... Uh, Dave, it was actually less transparency. He really didn't want the coaches to be able to help the athletes. What, and what I mean by that, to be specific, is that you know, coaches were very much like shoved in the back. So it, when we look at the earlier days of the games, so to give you one example, uh, 2016, um, athlete dinner, you know, classic Castro. This is going to be in, in Carson, yeah, Carson. California. And, it, uh, and so back there, it's like, you know, LA is kind of athlete hotel, similar setup to Madison, but, uh, you know, they have the athlete dinner before. They only invite the individuals to the athlete dinner, but still there's all 80 uh, athletes who go to dinner. Castro typically does a speech. You now, this is going to be the hardest games ever. Here's your canoe. Yeah. We meet at uh, 4 a.m. the next morning. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, th- there's no more information. And that's when they get on the plane go to the ranch, do the event at the ranch, and then come back. And, you know, I think it's a cool experience. And there is something nice about that. Um, but that lack of transparency is also apparent in other things. And, and, you know, if they want to take people off on a plane somewhere else, it's pretty cool. But the type of transparency we're asking for is, say, movement standard mm. to judging consistency. Yeah. So I think it's actually starting to devo- separate these two things. There's an entertainment value of the unknown and unknowable. Well, there's actually just a, a fairness of competition and sports that, that is important. And I think one thing that gets a bit lost is like, is it entertaining seeing these things? You know, most people don't really care like the 11 athletes that, or the 40 athletes that are at the games. There's 40 athletes at the games. As a general entertainment value, people don't care too much what the 40 are. People don't care too much about the specifics of the programming. The entertainment's important. Whereas, and this is where kind of that division for the athletes, the coaches, the agents, it's not just the entertainment value, but the fairness of the sport to make sure that there's kind of standards that are held to, etc. And so I think dividing those two things is actually really important. It's not just an example of fit survivor, you know? Yeah. Other games. You know, that you just happen to get lucky because of this, because of that. You know, when I first started CrossFit, you know, it's like, it couldn't have been more underground. And ultimately, you know, if you made it to the games or you made it to semifinals, there weren't like the implications weren't as huge as they are now. Meaning? Sponsors, yeah. um, finances, these things like the impact of not making it to the games or doing well at games has a lot more significant impact for the athletes and their teams than it did 10 years ago. Um, and that's and that is the kind of money influencing performance bonuses losing sponsors if you don't move on to the next stage exactly visibility all of these things um, before it sucked 
but it wouldn't it doesn't change much because a lot of that basically no one was full time. Mm. So everyone was working, yeah. doing day to day. So, so it's side hustle. Yeah. And so, you know, everyone kind of expected that as, as the athletes were professional, the professional of the judges, the, it was just more accepted that there would be issues and flaws. Mm. Whereas I think now what's happened is we professionalized a lot of the sport. Like our training camp set up, not just us from the program, but everyone has got a lot more professional. Athletes have agents. No one had an agent 10 years ago. Um, the athletes are all dedicated, making a livelihood from the sport. And I think we have to acknowledge those changes that we're not where we were 10 years ago. And therefore, we need to improve some other aspects. And this is what was kind of the whole background of the Lane 8 debate. Uh, the Lane 8 kind of framed it in a, in a certain way. <laughs> but as you say, you know, does that discussion continue? Mm. I'm speaking a lot with uh, Brett now from the PFA. I would like to hug Brett Kamerskine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, and he's very passionate about improving the sports. Um, I think that there needs to be unison amongst all these different sides. I think it must be very a challenge for like because I, I I'm going to say I don't know for sure, but Castro always seem to have favourites, you know, and that's and that's that doesn't make it easy for some athletes. I imagine go, going into the games knowing that they maybe aren't they're not on fist bump levels, you know, they're not yeah. they don't know, and also he's not going to know a lot of them. Although he's not going to be. Like controlling the games, is he? Or is he? Well, I don't. I don't think we've ever seen it. This is where I think the grey area starts to emerge. Of like, Justin was very much behind the scenes. Like, yeah. Justin has been involved in the sport really since the early days, mm. and it was only recently when he had all the changes in CrossFit that he became more of a public person. But he's been there. 2010, I think. Yeah, it's like 13 years or so since Justin's been kind of involved with the with the games, which is a huge amount of time. And he's seen lots of changes go through, lots of workforce change. Mm. But he's been a consistent presence. You know, we know how Castro was in, in the past um, and kind of what he, he liked to do and how he liked to be. And I think everyone would agree that that was like very much the presence uh, personality. And so the interesting thing to follow is will that translate now with a new title? Does the title matter? Mm-hmm. You know, does that mean there's more impact on the programming? Does that mean there's more impact on the transparency, the direction that the sport's going? And that has implications through the structure of the season. You know, it was, it was, you know, the sport has changed so much. We, we used to have a open, like regionals games that yeah. line, that became a structure. No, then the core finals, but that was, you know, a good addition, maybe or a simple addition. Then there was one point where everything was done by country. Then there was one point where it became sanctioned events. There's one point they changed the date to the open. Mm-hmm. That was it. Was through COVID, though, wasn't it? No, no, no. They just wanted to ch- put the open like after the game. So there's one year with like two opens. I thought it was the COVID year. No, no. Uh, so, so these these big changes and like a structured way forward. I'm, I'm maybe nervous for that. We're back that into moment. rocky, rocky ground. Yeah, it feels like there's more uncertainty now. And I think the quick change adds to that uncertainty. Yeah. 
I mean, what's the, what's the, I mean, presumably lots of people have been messaging you, blaming you for the uh, ejection of Mr. Berg. The late stuff, I'm assuming, has contributed to the, uh, the decision. Yeah, I, I know I'm nowhere near involved in the decision. No, um, no, I don't mean that. I mean, like, that was a discussion and there has been other things mistakes yeah, that have been made. I, I don't think that... I had to like a lot of support from the Lane argument because I know that a lot of people feel that way. And, you know, they, they relate to seeing their athletes in a similar position. Mm. And so it was just a representation of people's feelings and to have CrossFit not admit that something just to like, be like, look guys, we fucked up. Sorry. Yeah. That would be such a nice, refreshing moment. Wouldn't yeah. Because everyone understands that, you know, it's a very tricky position for them to alter the the scoring in the moment mm. but actually just to admit and be like you know we fucked up hands up we're going to look at this and make this better i think that would have been a good opportunity that, yeah me too i agree and why why didn't that happen yeah because we both sides have kind of already admitted that something was wrong with the runners off camera though no on camera as well they, yeah. they there's kind of this admitted discrepancy okay um and, you know, then their argument based is that the discrepancy was was acceptable. Our argument was it was so that that's kind of the where the back and forth went in the discussion. Mm. Um, and just admission, you know, like it was fucked up because if it was on a, you know, I don't think if like someone like the bars were misloaded in the open or something, yes. and be it they light or heavy, no one's going to argue that that plays an advantage. But then when you've got discrepancies in, you know in lanes through prowlers or sleds or discrepancies in judging or discrepancies in the runner. These things are, they become more gray because it's very black and white to measure a weight. Mm -hmm. But the further you move into kind of the human decision-making, the less black and white it becomes. So the, the inter-rate reliability of, of judging is, is pretty bad. It's harder to quantify that. The, um, situation as, as it sounds i mean like so like yesterday he was it was announced that he was going has actually they haven't actually said that castro is the permanent new gm just that he's stepping in yeah which you know it, again it doesn't lead to like uh, a level of stability we, we also don't know like was it from crossfit side or was it justin's yeah we, we, we don't know where this happened was it that they they all of a sudden were like oh no Justin's leaving or was it that CrossFit let go of Justin I don't know how that happened mm -hmm. um, yeah it's ambivalent you know it's it, 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 ambiguous you don't know yes from the thing that they've released and I still think the one thing that we've been asking for is like a clear path forward you know what is what is the goal of we've got a very clear path for CrossFit they want to reach a lot more people you know, yeah. I can't remember number, like 30 million people or something like that by 2030. Yeah. But what's the goal for the games and the sport? The, all, all I got was we want to professionalise the sport. And I really, like, I'm not sure what that means now because that, you know, for example, with the media passes and the media access that um, we were or weren't given. I mean, like, I had an amazing time in Berlin. It's like the, the press guys are really helpful and help me out a lot to do whatever I wanted to. But if I was another, if I was like representing another 
um, like a, I don't know, a brand or something, maybe I wouldn't have got the access that I, that I had. But what I mean is that they, like, when I asked them, why did you do that? The answer was we want to professionalise the sport. But, and then like, if you speak to some of the um, photographers and videographers who are working in the pit, like, who work for other sports, that means reducing and reducing and reducing the amount of coverage so mm-hmm. that it then can be controlled. And that, and that in itself like, leads on to things like, well, how like, like CrossFit's kind of spawned itself. It's kind of multiplied itself, which came after the media team was sacked mm. from CrossFit HQ back in the day. And so you've got all the Buttery Brothers and Talking Elite Fitness and all these people who kind of sprung up as a response being made redundant. So how do you bring them all back inside and, and, and make like, How do you control them? I don't think... I don't think that should be the goal. No, okay. what I mean is like they're trying to professionalise the sport. Yeah. So, but they're trying to. So, but so I, I, I think the trouble is with trying to professionalise the sport right now is that it's on some rocky foundations. Mm. So, is the sport fun to watch? You know, if you would sit down there on TV and watch this as an event, you know, is that a fun event to watch? You know, I, I think that some of the events are and some aren't. Uh, and that entertainment value, I think, is something that has to be standardised. A lot of it comes down to how um, like people like Brian Friend contribute, because I mean, like, without his knowledge of those athletes, it would be much more boring commentary. Yeah, but also just the style of events. Like, there, there's some simple things. Like a classic one again, like 2015, uh, the finals were coverage, like live coverage on ESPN, mm-hmm. and these, these broadcasting deals are huge. That's you know. That's where the sport can truly make a lot of money is getting good broadcasting yeah. as, you know, it's just a standard model across the big sports. An ESPN final games version, you've got like a pegboard, which was, again, a random movement introduced. Now it's become staple, but it was just introduced. Like literally, if you speak to a lot of the games athletes from that era, 2015 was like the hardest games ever. It was the, the heat was so much, it was like 40 degrees. And you had um, Murph. So were, that's the full Murph year. Is that uh, the one where um, Cara Yeah, collapsed? Cara, Annie pulled out, heat stroke. There were the people just falling left, right and centre. Like, it, it was really tough. The volume was high. And then the final Sunday, uh, we're in the warm-up area. They all of a sudden they installed this, like, pegboard thing, <laughs> which no one had any clue about a pegboard. Yeah. <laughs> And these guys are fried. Yeah. They've got to do this new movement, uh, which a few people managed to do. Uh, and then you went into like parallel deficit handstand push ups. And that's the, you know, it's like such a risky event for the final to be broadcast on ESPN. Because it's basically them failing. Yeah, well, they had the crash mats and all the athletes just sitting on the crash mats because they can't do the movements and and looking really disheartened because they can kind of see their games places completely changing because none of them can do this movement. And and the year before, they had like a double grace, a throning one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something like that, you've got like, I think they had the heat of 20 maybe. And just seeing the barbell advance, points changing. Yeah, it's, it's much easier to watch. Yeah, and it's, it's like, a race. It's a race and it, it's a lot more predictable. So I think these big risks at the final of the games as being aired on ESPN, 
it doesn't look great necessarily for the athletes, and I don't think it's uh, been great for uh, for the sport. And there are lots of these, you know, and, and I think these these foundational issues also need to be mm. asked in terms of professionalization of like, is it entertaining to watch? Like, is this a sellable product? And, and I think all of us within the sport agree. But if you were to hand it on to a spectator, you know, someone who's used to watching sports, would they find this interesting to watch? And, you know, what kind of, like, uh, package could it be? Like, Strongman, for example, I think is popular because... I love watching Strongman. Yeah, you know, that these guys are, like, huge, for one. And they just do, like, cool stuff. Super simple to follow. You know, like, I, I saw a clip the other day of... Um, I forgot the name of the uh, the event, but they're kind of holding the the two pillars. Yes. Uh, Hercules Hulk, or something like that. You know, rogue Strongman, you lift something heavier, you... Either do it for weight or for distance of time. You know, it's uh, really easy. And they're interesting people to look at as well. Yeah. I, I quite prefer, fascinated by them. Um, and so, but then I think there are a lot of sports like cycling or Formula One, which are very popular in my house, and football as well. Football's, le- football's probably of the three the most easy one to kind of watch because it's so universal. But professional cycling and Formula One, you have to know a lot about the team, you have to know a lot about the rider, you have to know a lot about a bike or a car to really appreciate the sport anyway. Well, I disagree because there's, a, like a, there's an A to B. You know, it's very easy for someone to get into it because you can be like, who's leading? Mm. And where are they in the race? And the same with Formula One. But there's a ton of strategy involved as well. But, but that's the nuance of the sport. But from a big picture level, you know, Formula One is, is the quickest person around. Yeah. A Tour de France is quickest person from A to B across various stages. Mm. Uh, and you are right, the strategy of the teams, but that depth, I think, comes later on in the sport. You know, when you, like with CrossFit, for example, there's there's so much depth that you have to know. Yeah. Like sometimes I'm watching an event and you have no, like Linda. Yeah. I am. Where is everybody? Where is everyone? <laughs> or, you know, you've got an event where... I think the caveat to this was the marathon row was actually quite entertaining. Really? Yeah, because you had a screen. Oh, okay. That showed where people were. And you could watch people peeing on the floor. Yeah, you could watch, <laughs> you know, but there was a screen that told you where someone was and where someone needed to go. Mm. So it was actually quite entertaining to, because uh, to fo- easy to follow. But the events where, you know, someone's sitting on a rower for 20 minutes, but you have no clue what's happening. That's not as entertaining to watch. I'm, I mean, apart from the fact that salt runners are, are like uh, should be banned from competitions, yeah. Know, I actually found um, the um, event, the first event on the Friday, that, that bit on the runner just really boring. It's a two k or three k run, but it's actually just like it's not unusual for it to be boring because it watching someone on a static runner is not super entertaining. But the sled ball was really fun. It was really great watching that. And those sorts of things are, are interesting to me, but... Yeah, and, you know, the games when they run, or you see changes, that, that's really where it becomes a bit more exciting. And I think a lot of people argue this point, you know, the one point of the season where shuttle runs would probably be more appropriate yeah. was in that event. Yes, definitely. Um, and, and so these found... I, I think that there's, there's certain foundations of the sport, also the season, mm-hmm. you know, that we go from open quarterfinals which are online events which are probably good for people within the sport but not necessarily great for exposure then you all of a sudden go semi-finals three weeks second boo yeah you, you know 
Can you name everyone at the games? Can I? Yeah. No. No. And and they're the four, like 40 males, 40 females. I mean, could you name 20? Yeah. Give <laughs> me 20. 20. So you get like half of the, or a quarter of the field, depending if that's through male, female. Mm. And I think one of the reasons was because in three weeks, you qualified 80 people. Let, there's, we're not even talking about teams right now to the games in, in this. Whereas actually, if it's spread out over a longer period of time, you know, I know someone, and this is where the sanctions season came in a bit, but if someone won in December and qualified for there, someone goes in, it gives them more exposure. Mm. Um, and actually, I think, gives a bit more of a storyline through the season. We had semi-finals, boom, 80 athletes. Six weeks later, games, boom, a winner. Season done. Would you, how do you think the worldwide ranking is going to work out now? Because that was supposed to be like taken over the year as well. So, uh, yeah. as it stands, do you think that's going to work? Um, so, I think that having some kind of worldwide ranking is useful and can play into a, a structure that's like, you know, people can accumulate points and then qualify. Um, the trouble with the worldwide ranking is that they use that as a basis of qualifying spots. Mm. And that's where it got messy. Like worldwide ranking alone, fine. You know, you need some way of ranking all athletes. Uh, but using that as a system for qualifying spots is where that whole thing got a bit messed up. So I don't know if they'll change that or not. Uh, I also don't know if, if, for example, Justin Berg going is, uh, you know, are they just... Are they more going underneath or not? You know, underneath. Justin, because obviously he has like, he has a huge team. Yeah. He's like very much the head of, you know, he, he was the head of sport. So there's obviously a lot more people. Uh, will they will they go across it? Made a lot of other layoffs. Will they stay? So it, again, needs to more uncertainty as to direction. Do you think it's a financial decision that he's gone? I'm, I'm sure finances play, you know, they have... CrossFit don't have infinite resources. They have to think about the, especially, you know, as you kind of move up the rankings, there's a very clear picture of where they want to go financially. Um, so it must play a role, but I don't know if that's a factor in, in the ultimate decision. But it's going back to what we were saying earlier about the CrossFit now doing, running their own semi-finals rather than using sanctioned events. That must have cost them quite a lot of money to organise all that, to get the teams, the, the, the CrossFit staff to Berlin, for example. I mean, like, that, I mean, I'm putting all of the competitors into one semi-final in Berlin. That must have also been a financial decision. Yes, I'm sure. And this is the thing, like, you know, part of the decision is financial, but I think a lot of those decisions were made because they wanted to bring some of the semi-finals back in-house. Hmm. But what is that part of a bigger picture goal, or was that just kind of a micro goal through? Like, what's the purpose of bringing the semi-finals back in house, and does that lead out to some kind of clearer vision for the sport and where it's going? You know, I have a vision of what I would like to see in the sport, but you know, I I don't know if that's possible or or that would kind of play out. What's your uh, vision? I, so I believe that something along the sanction model would be sensible. Where you know I've discussed this with with other people, where you have you have all these off-season competitions that do a great job. So you have Rogue, uh, Dubai, What a Loser, 
Madrid, you have all these competitions. Mm. And actually, similar to what they had in the sanctioned where, you know, let's say the winner of this competition would qualify for the games. Yeah. The winner of this competition will qualify for the games. And let's say you have between 20 and 30 people uh, qualifying for the games uh, or 40 or 60 male, female through these competitions. You then go into a, um, like you have the open quarterfinals, semifinals, but you wouldn't need like nine semifinals. You could maybe just host some in different parts of the world where the remaining spots would be allocated. Mm -hmm. And then you could qualify and everyone would then qualify to the games and it's still this kind of pinnacle competition. I think what that does is it, it prolongs the season. It gives athletes lots of opportunities to qualify, not one weekend. It takes um, a lot of the costing of semifinals away. It still allows you to keep the open, which is your kind of big flagship event for the community so i think it's a model that really makes a lot of sense and keeps the whole season connected and entertaining and gets to use these partners event partners who've been very loyal do crossfit and i think it could you could start to instill these kind of a certain structure to those competitions so they you know so it keeps them all in line that maybe number of events style of scoring system standard of movements across it makes it a lot easier to follow certain event formats. Um, you know, like for example, AMRAPs in competition are very typically very hard to follow. Mm. Um, or the way that the lifting was done was kind of hard to follow who was winning. Uh, and a lot of these structures could then be implemented across this season. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think you could create a really interesting storyline for the sport and be financially uh, viable. As long as you can find event partners who want to take on that risk. Because the other problem is, like, as competition organisers, like last year, there was quite a few that really didn't make any money. Yeah, but they're doing that risk anyway. So there's, I mean, how many CrossFit So you're talking about there's... using existing competition. It does seem you need, you know, maybe you add in one or two more or more people want that opportunity, but there are already events out there. Like French... Like French, you know, like Madrid, like you can Dubai, Dubai. <laughs> yeah, the down under. There's already all of these events happening. They're already taking that risk. Mm. And, you know, I'm not. Yeah, you know, I've spoken to some event organisers, but obviously not all of them. But I'm sure that if an opportunity to qualify athletes to the games is also there, it could add like a really beneficial factor to the competition. Certainly, the, the athletes are probably more motivated to attend. Athletes more motivated to attend. It ties it into CrossFit more, which, you know, they're, if they're CrossFit licensed or not, gives it more weight. And if they're CrossFit licensed or not, they're doing CrossFit. You know, um, with Jacqueline last weekend, uh, she competed on team competition. Yeah, I saw she did it. Yeah. And they won it, huh? They won it. Great. Yeah, it, it was a good event. And, you know, they don't call themselves CrossFit. They're doing CrossFit. Mm. And I think that the kind of, the greater good of, this kind of organization that is CrossFit can really benefit from these events if they, you know, like these events kind of want to be part of, of CrossFit, you know? Yeah. So it's like, how do how is that bridge formed that's mutually beneficial for everyone? But is that coming back to the image rights issue and coming back to like them wanting to control the content that's being put out? Because that, that, that is still, like to me, that's like, a, I, know, I don't want to sound like, 
super snooty about it, but that is, always seems to me like an American problem, which is that they want to have the brand at Brights. They need to have they need to have so much control over the copyright. Uh, so so that, like to share or to include other people becomes a problem. Yeah, but I think if they do things well, the for example, the broadcasting for each of those competitions. If the sport's going to be a success, it's because people want to watch it. Mm. And being then able to broadcast, you know, CrossFit could then still be in control of the broadcasting uh, and their specific media that goes out. I think it's very important that the brand controls the brand um, and the image and the story that they want to tell. Uh, I think that can still be good done in a good way. And I don't think it would have a ne- negative impact on the the content creators, the media that's kind of produced, like, you look at lots of other sports, you know, you've also got the PGA and what's happening there. But then a lot of people go to other resources to find out information, to read new resources. So I don't think it's going to, if anything, I think the CrossFit becoming, the sports growing will benefit the like central organization of CrossFit. And I think that there is a structure of which that can be done. Um, and and I don't necessarily think the steps are currently in that in that flow or direction. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen then? How are we going to get uh, get what we want? So, how are you going to get what you want? Being uh, safe for the ride. I, I think that um, joining kind of forces, like someone's vision, may be different to to mine of where the sport should be. However, one thing we all have unison on is that there should be fairness and consistency in the sport. So I think that's a great starting point to build that connection. And that was one of the big parts of speaking so much with Brent and the PFAA, starting to form that foundation. Obviously, Brent has like very good connections with the athletes and that mm-hmm. side. We have connection with the, the coaches. We also want to involve the agents who are now important in that space and be like, okay, how do we how do we form this kind of like voice of the athletes and make sure the voice of the athlete is heard? Like a union. Like a union. Um, and it's basically that the athletes have fair conditions to compete under. Um, and then hopefully that gets heard. And then the next stage becomes trying to find some, you know, possibly some standardization of programming in the sense we know the movement standards or what's going to be done. Yeah. Like what is a far facing burpee? You know, right now, CrossFit has used so many variations. How do you do a handstand push-up? Well, CrossFit's used so depends many variations. <laughs> it depends on the year, and it really shouldn't because, you know, it just those kind of things create more confusion than benefits, you know? Really, does it change the test, changing the the way you measure the, the handstand push-up? No, but it creates confusion. Uh, people measure wrong and then there are mistakes and it, it's very hard to organize and follow. Mm. So I guess depending on how open Mr. Castro is to these discussions is really going to be like whether you're going to be able to push that forward or you're going to be stuck in a cul-de-sac of frustration. Yeah, we're back into time will tell. Mm. So, you know, is this a step forward or a step back? No idea. Um and when I say step forward well, for both the sports and where things are going, I think people were surprised. Like you said, uh, yeah. shocked or... Shook. Shock. Because 
Castro had been kind of removed. I honestly thought, hang on, is it April the 1st? <laughs> yeah. and, I look, and I looked at, it was morning chalk up I was looking at, and I looked to check it wasn't make Wads great again or a meme or something. It's like, this is not happening. Yeah, very unusual. Um, and I think Dave, I, the community love Dave. They love that uncertainty. They love that entertainment value. Yeah, they do. And I, and I think that that entertainment value is very important but it shouldn't be at the sacrifice. So there's the qualities there and the negative parts. And I think we need to be able to separate those two things mm. because at some point, the entertainment value, if it becomes destructive to the athletes, isn't great for the sport. But you can, you know, if everything's standardized and you, you, know, you still want to surprise them sending them on a plane or choosing those things, I, I still think that can be done. Yeah. Um, but then actually when they arrive to the competition venue, there's it's safe. They have you know, they have some kind of like a consistency across the legs. And when you go out to like the ranch or something, like then it gets very hard in terms of making sure distances are the same between GHD, their floorings level. And, and all these things matter in the consistency, but they may not matter in the entertainment value. Mm-hmm. And so I think actually differentiating those two things is might be useful for the discussions as well. Like someone kind of monitor going on outside of that, to just like monitor the fairness of it. It's almost and, and that's, like yes. an independent judging body. Well, I, I think that what we will hopefully see is something like that um, come to fruition. I, I think that's what uh, we would like to try and push for is to have some form of in the body that's not within HQ that can start to be involved in those decision-making processes to, to make it fair for the people involved. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, we're training for the games. Yeah. Ella's going. Moritz is going. Yeah, we also have Veronica, um, a team Veronica athlete. Veronica is yeah. going, of course. So, so now, apart from all of this uncertainty, you now have to train for the, well, the, the unknowable anyway. Just put it out there, you know. <laughs> CrossFit has always been uncertain. So this is this is not unusual. I know you're very you're very like yeah next about it, but for me it's still. Well, I think the one the change now is since uh, lane eight. I've always been very. Uh, I've always shared my thoughts, but in very like non-public settings. Whereas now I've become a lot more open to sharing and discussing these thoughts and ideas in a, in a public forum, and that's the difference. And you know, our training for the games. We've always known that, you know, the games, they could completely change their programming, completely, they could cut down to five athletes. Yeah. They could do whatever they want to do. Mm. But it is like that. You have to hustle a lot, don't you, in CrossFit? I mean, everybody except maybe, maybe like big shoe companies <laughs> is, uh, is really like grinding to get, to get the success that they deserve. Yeah. I, I think that this comes from the everyone sees the potential of CrossFit. Mm. And I think probably from 2007 to 2017, like the growth was phenomenal. And then we've entered into this weird place where we've, it seems to have plateaued yeah. and the potential is not being reached. And a lot of people like put the analogy to like UFC, which I don't think is fair because it has a very different concept. UFC, really? Well, it's done phenomenally well. It hasn't plateaued, has it? That's the point. Oh, okay. Is that CrossFit kind of... I think everyone within the sport really sees this potential, wants to see it grow, but it hasn't grown. And that has reflections on, you know, 
if we were to open an athlete on your gym, and it's going to slightly off topic, there's no return on that investment. No. There's, there's just not the money in the sport to justify these uh, costs. Whereas, you know, if the athletes were all of a sudden going to compete for a million or, you know, then you start to go, actually, the infrastructure behind that gets a lot stronger. You can then start to do these athlete-only gyms or these things. But as it stands at the moment, you know, only a handful of athletes can, you know, can reach that kind of uh, million, kind of millionaire status yeah. from the sport. Whereas, you, you know, we, we always joke now because we spoke about the start of being into golf. Yeah. You, you know, the amount these guys win is phenomenal. Mm. I mean, just making it through the cuts into the final days, like you guaranteed like at least 50,000 euros, which is, you know, basically third place at the games. That's like 60th in one weekend. And they have these tournaments every single weekend. Like some of the prize money in like the FedEx Cup goes up to like 17 million. Uh, for first place. Then where is that money coming from? Broadcasting rights, sponsors, the people that are interested to go to watch this. And that's because it's entertaining uh, to watch. Mm. And, and this is where the that foundation comes in. You know, we, we're talking about consistency in the sport right now, but there's other discussions about how to make it entertaining and the type of events you should have uh, in order to do that. And how to make it profitable. Yeah, which I think comes, you know, and hopefully that should fall in line from a good structure. Like the sport should be profitable. Everyone loves CrossFit. You know, we all do it. We all love watching it. How can we take that to a broader audience? Um, you know, those are the discussions that I think should be should be kind of put on the table and start to to had. Well, we have, let's stop there for that. I just want to ask you, yeah. I don't know when I'm going to see you next. How are, how are Ella and Moritz and Veronica preparing? Are you getting, are you going to do some kind of games camp? What's yeah. So is, it isn't long until you go to America. No, it's like four weeks. So we still got a bit of time. Um, but Ella's here grinding away. Moritz arrives in like 10 days uh, and he'll stay here. We'll travel together to the States. Then Veronica uh, comes over for a week camp uh, and then travels a little bit later. So she starts the games almost four or five days earlier than the... Wow, that's a lot earlier. Yeah, just because they, I think they're going to finish all divisions by Thursday and then the individuals start Thursday. So if she's got like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday or something like that. And then the other guys uh, start on Thursday. I guess to empty stadiums then... Unfortunately, you know, this is a whole nother <laughs> discussion, but yes, yeah, probably, probably too. Sorry, the... sorry for the masters and the teams. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really... You don't get any attention. But I do wonder if at least they can take them into the Coliseum because when they have the individuals and everyone else together, they don't really go in the Coliseum. And, you know, it's even worse being in this kind of like cow shed bit <laughs> with no spectators. Yeah, I have been, I've actually done an interview recently with Antonio Owens. Yeah. He was very cross about the um, situation with Masters and and um, prize money. Yeah. And I'm going to uh, try to get some balanced response from some of the organisers of the competitions before I release that episode. But, you know, in defence of the organisers, like, there's like, not really that much money for individuals, let alone for Masters. Yeah. And I think that until you can kind of demonstrate that... So I think with the elite individual athletes, you can now say that these guys bring spectators in, they get views, they 
really upping the level. We need to find a way that that can translate, say, through to the masters so the same thing can happen because right now that's not necessarily happening. And, you know, we put on events. So we, to, to not only put on the event, but then to pay the athletes, it's very hard. Mm. And, and I think that it's understandable that there's no money for masters athletes. You know, it's only until only last year, 20 to 40 of the games made money. Yeah. So you know, it's only last year that that happened. So you used to go to the games. If you didn't finish in the top half of the games, you wouldn't get any prize money, which, you know, I saw... stings when you're supposed to be like toppling the world. <laughs> yeah. And so, I, you know, we are seeing progress in that, but it's probably going to take a... If nothing changes, it won't trickle down to, to Masters. But if the improvements start happening, then eventually I think that will start to translate into, into Masters. Let's hope so. Yeah. Because all the elites do tend to become masters. Maybe that's when it will change. Yeah, I, th- I think it can help for the older. I think it can help for like the viewership, you know. Seeing like Sam Dancer, you know, Friday was obviously involved, Scott Patrick in Briggs. Come on, don't leave out the girls. Yeah, you know, there's China Cho, there's there's a lot of girls now who are in guys in the masters. Um who will bring that to right? And that was one of the thoughts we had on a lot of super teams mm. because then actually we'll probably get more uh, eyeballs on teams because you have a down day. Oh, uh, the teams, is that another thing though? Like when I was watching at Berlin, watching the, I didn't, I don't really get the chance to watch many teams competitions because when I'm at competitions, I'm often shooting or working somewhere and I was watching teams and there's the connections, incredible support they had for each other it was just like it was really beautiful to watch compared to the out and out like brutality of being an individual yeah compared to the teams i was really moved by some of them it's like i think there's so much more time could be going to them as well yeah and we can you know there's so many like levels but what i think is hard is that trying to realize all this potential at once Mm. you know trying to realize a team competition when things aren't necessarily right with the individual competition, trying to realise that through various age groups that go the way, trying to realise that through... See, what this this problem that we're talking about happens at the top of the sport, if we kind of talk about like athletic performance, and then obviously that probably gets even worse as you get further down because yeah. less time and attention is paid onto it. And so I, I think if we can set the standards super high at the top that actually that will bring the rest of the sport forward. And that's what needs to be focused at that point first. And then the rest uh, will follow. Fingers crossed. Over and out. Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Europe is Coming is a programme production and hosted by Vicky McLeod.